Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to meet together with brothers and to dig into your word. We ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't think I'll keep you long, but I would like to conclude the book without concluding the book. Uh, This book, as we have seen, is like a man that's preaching. I mean, he just kicks off the thing preaching and hits the same truths at different directions, and then occasionally throws in a curveball, just something he wants to emphasize. And we see him doing the same thing here. So I'll read the four verses, and then we'll dig into it. Verse 18 of 1 John 5 through verse 21. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself And the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. That we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then here's one last exhortation. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. (laughs) So be it. Truly, keep yourselves from idols. This is important. That may be his whole emphasis through the book is loving God with all your heart and letting that show up in our relationships with one another's. And beware of anything that would get in the way of that, which basically is idolatry. An idol doesn't have to be something made out of wood or clay or rock or gold or brass or silver. It could be uh, a hobby that we put before the Lord. It could be a wound that we have. Someone did us wrong and we won't let it go. And uh, we are selling our souls, as it were, or robbing ourselves of God's blessing because of some idol. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to verse 18. We know, I mean, he's saying this confidently, whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So let's, if we will, I mean, this wasn't written in chapter and verse, Right? We did that later, and they did us a favor by doing it. So I don't think it hurts to look at the word by phrases. So let's look at this first phrase. We know that whoever has been born of God or whoever is born of God does not sin. How many born of God in the room? Have you sinned since you've been born of God? So there's a dead monkey on the line somewhere, right? Uh, what's going on? Well, there's two views. Elder Greg shared this last week, uh, and I like it. The context is he's been talking about the sin that's unto death, that we can pray for people that are in sin, uh, but if they're sinning unto death, I'm not telling you to pray for them. What would be a sin unto death? Well, I think it would be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And whoever is born of God isn't going to do that. Right? So we're not going to send the sin unto death. We've been born of God. Another viewpoint 
is that he possibly is talking about lifestyle. And so in my trustee parallel translations in my phone, I found the English Standard Version translates it like this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. The New Living Translation says, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sin. The NIV says, we know that everyone, or we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. I think the words sin lends itself intense-wise, something that's not in the past, but present pointing towards the future. I know in my own life, when I do sin, um, I'm very disturbed. I have to repent. I have to stop. I have to get it right. And it's not a legalistic have to, but it's like I'm grieving the Holy Spirit and he's letting me know he's not happy. I'm hurting my communion with him to the point that it bothers me. Anybody have any insights on this? I would look at that passage, though, too, as a, I would have a question about repetitive sin. I mean, there's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and that's made pretty clear, but there's phrases like, without works, your faith is dead, and a repetitive sin like, Adultery and it just keeps going and going and going and going. Isn't there a point where he goes, enough's enough. You're rejecting me, and I accept. Oh, if we're sinning and we we just we 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 uh, do what yeah we do what a verse in the new another verse in the New Testament talks about searing our conscience, just blowing right pat right through the red lights of the Lord. Is that what you're saying? What happens? Well, you see your conscience. Your conscience is something God uses. Obviously, your conscience is trained. You're not born with a perfect conscience, but your conscience is trained by the Word of God as your mind is renewed. But overriding that is going to lead to a form of foolishness or a lack of wisdom. And you're not getting younger. You're getting older every day. There's going to be consequences to those sins. And the Scriptures say if the Father does not discipline his children... We're not legitimate children. So if that person has been born of God, they got a butt whooping coming from the Father. They just do. Um, or he's not their father. They've been faking it or whatever. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church in Corinth they've got a brother in their midst who's fornicating with his stepmother. And he told them to turn that guy over to Satan. Well, I think that definitely means don't be praying for him anymore, right? The next book, he says, Second Corinthians, he says, restore him, lest he get too discouraged. The same guy. So I think as believers, if you see a brother continuing to sin, where he is a fornicator, he's not somebody that you know, is trying to overcome something. He's just giving himself to it. You can't hang out with that person. Anyone that's called a brother 
who lives in sin, we can't fellowship with that person. And, and that verse, I wish I had it ready, goes on to say, this doesn't mean don't fellowship with the world. In other words, don't, you know, don't be with the world, otherwise we'd have to leave the world. But someone who's called a brother, who basically is not repenting or refusing to, withdraw. And I see this as a redemptive thing. It's not a punishment thing. It's a redemptive thing. You're making room for Jesus. Because why should someone live in sin and enjoy all the benefits of Christian fellowship? When we come together, someone prays with us about our needs, someone encourages us, someone asks us about our day. There's benefits to that. The music is good a lot of times, and, you know, you've got friends you can trust. So... Back off, make room for Jesus so that that person will miss, become homesick. We'll just go to church somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> it can happen. It can happen. So you blame that burden on us. Well, we're not the Holy Spirit. We're not. But uh, obviously, you know, you, you see a speck in someone's eye, get the log out of yours, and then go and say, hey, we got a problem here. There's a <laughs> Help me understand. You can ask anybody that without them feeling attacked. But if they feel attacked from that, no. Plus, Matthew 18 gives you uh, the, the I, I hate to say formula, but the steps that yeah. you need to take if you're yeah. struggling with a brother. Right, right. And they may do a quantum leap to, you're judging me, and you're not at all. Just being a brother. Because uh, someone who's born of God, they're not going to live a life of sinning. It's dangerous. I mean, it's not good. Uh, the Bible says there's no liars in the kingdom of God. There's no fornicators in the kingdom of God. There's no thieves in the kingdom of God. There's no drunkards in the kingdom of God. That isn't, but such were some of you. Is that in Ephesians? So we were those things by lifestyle. But a believer may tell a lie and then go make it right. That doesn't make them a liar. They lied and they, they repented. But somebody continually defrauds people, lies them, ripping, ripping widows off in the church, stuff like that. Oh, man, that's not good. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. So I went to the translations for clarity on that, and I got two different views. And uh, I'll just share both of you, both of them with you. One view is he who has been born of God is Jesus, and he keeps him. Who knows, Jesus does keep us. He promised to not let us go. He holds on to us. So that comforts my heart. But we have a certain responsibility in our being kept. Jesus in John 8 says, if you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So one of the ways that Jesus keeps us is by his truth, by his word. So if I'm born of God, that means I've, I've heard the word and I believe the word, right? 
And if I'm born of God, I take seriously everything Jesus had to say. And he talked about sin. He talked about repentance. And he talked about dealing with things that would cause you to sin. Look at Matthew 18. What I'm about to share flows with uh, the way the New King James says it. He who has been born of God keeps himself. How do we keep ourselves? How can I keep myself from sinning? Look at what Jesus himself said in verse 8 and verse 9 of Matthew 18. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. Verse 9. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Now we know our hands don't cause us to sin, but people sin with their hands. Our feet don't cause us to sin, but we sin with our feet. Our eyes don't cause us to sin, but we can sin with our eyes. So what is he saying? Whatever it is that's causing you to sin, do something about it. Do something about it. If alcohol is a temptation, stop going to the liquor store to buy Coke. Just don't do that. And if women are a temptation, delete all the old girlfriend's phone uh, phone numbers out of your phone. And unfriend them on Facebook. Right now? <laughs> Be ruthless with this thing. Let me get real personal with you guys. Uh, you guys may think pastors should never be tempted. Temptation is not a sin, but to yield to a temptation is sin. Amen. So because of the way I'm wired, the way I can't say God made me this way, that's a cop-out. He made us. Adam messed us up, so we all are tempted to do different things. And to embrace the weaknesses that you're tempted with and to embrace them and celebrate them as though they're a new gender or a new race is ridiculous, which is what we see being done out in the secular world. People that are tempted with homosexuality are now embracing it as a new gender. God made us male and female and marriage to be husbands, a husband and a wife. It's just the way it is. So we want to pervert that because God made me this way. No, I'm tempted to do things that are wrong that are not good for me. We, everybody on the planet is tempted to do things that are not good for them. Just are. And so... When the Internet came along, it was like a cruel joke. You know, up to that point, to stay away from things that tempted me, I never stopped and got gas in whiskey flats. <laughs> I just didn't. Never did. Now, I've been with some people that did. I didn't judge them. I just stayed right there by the car. So just blow right through town. That's my way of avoiding the things that tempt me. Well, then along comes the Internet. So when I get a computer, I have to keep my computer unplugged from the Internet. But uh, 
there, be, there comes this demand for email. I mean, there's just a strong demand. Boy, if you don't have email, we're not going to communicate with you. The minister's fellowship I'm part of made that rule. Like, what? This is like a cruel joke. God, you know what I'm tempted with. What in the world's going on? And I discovered the mail station, which was a little contraption that had a little keyboard and a little screen, and I did email like that for a couple years. Then I discovered Covenant Eyes, which is accounting software. I pay a fee every year and a report of everything I do is emailed weekly. Everywhere I go online, it doesn't invade my emails, but everything I do online, a log of that is being kept by this program that's in my computer. It also contains a filter, all right? And every time that filter is pinged and everything I do, a log is being made automatically. It doesn't slow my computer down. And weekly, every Tuesday morning, my friend, who has been to church here, a pastor in another community, gets a report. So now, when I'm on the computer, the temptation isn't what it was, because I'm technically not alone. Well, then comes a smartphone. They have covenant eyes for smartphones, but the filter's a joke. So... I discovered you can turn the Internet off on your phone, and the, the things you need via Internet, there are apps for that that, you don't surf, that that can't be used to surf. So there's some wonderful Bible apps. Uversion is an amazing Bible app, but you can surf through Uversion. So I don't have that. I have Blue Letter Bible. You can't surf through that. And I have um, e, the e-Bible. You don't surf through that. Our church has an app, but I don't have it on my phone because you can surf through it because our app is tied to our website. If I need to go to our website, I just use my computer where Covenant Eyes is. So that's my plan for plucking my eye out, that thing that tempts you. Get rid of it. Deal with it. Because if you've been born of God, you're going to do what you can to keep yourself from sinning. And so just to lay back and say, well, the devil made me do it, I don't get it. Making any sense? Mm-hmm. Y'all ready to change churches? <laughs> <laughs> now, I've got to say this to us as parents. It behooves us to force ourselves to learn things if we have kids in the home. Don't give your kid something full of technologies that you have no understanding of. Get some understanding on filters and child-proofing stuff. There's controls on just about everything that you buy. Make sure there's there's parental controls on any contraption, whether it's a cell phone or a television, before you ever buy it. Because you're bringing a world of temptation in front of your kid, and then you go into shock because they did something sinful. Hello? Um, Well, I don't think I should invade my child's privacy. Your child does not need to be alone with the world of temptation that is at their fingertips. It's like you're dropping them off in Whiskey Flats to get a Coke (laughs) at the TU Club. Take control. Don't be victims of the culture. 
And we don't have to be Amish, thank God. But if that's what it takes, you know what, that's worth it, rather than to go to hell with all your technology. So what are you tempted with? I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand. <laughs> what are you doing to put a stop to it? I remember Jack Hayford confessed that there was a particular branch of a bank. He, he was, you know, we all bank at banks and have multiple branches. There was a particular branch he loved to go inside and, and do his business. And one day he was leaving the bank, and the Lord says, you know why you like this one? Because the teller has big breasts. Jack confessed this to his congregation. I'm never going in that branch again. So for him, one of his temptations, when we face temptation every day, was to stay away from that which tempts you. To stay away from it. Just, you don't have to get judgmental, yell, blame, all that stuff. Just if you want to walk out what you've been born to walk out. If we've been born again, we've been born to live according to the will of Jesus. And everyone who's born of God keeps himself. Now, it's not all on us. So I kind of like the dual application here. Some of the translation says he, he was begotten of God, and it's implying Jesus definitely keeps him. Jesus keeps him. And one of the ways he does it is through his word. Paul wrote, I think in the first Corinthians, there's no temptation taken you but that which is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but will with the temptation Make a way of escape that you may be able to bear. So if you're cornered with a temptation, look for the door. If there's no door, look for the window. If there's no window, look where a good place would be for a window. <laughs> and make him one. Get out. Um, we stand and we fight the enemy when he hits us with fear. We don't back down an inch when he hits us with unbelief and doubt. We don't back down when he hits us with bitterness. We fight that. But sexual temptation, you run. What battle are you facing? You've got to know when to fold and know when to hold, hold and know when to walk away, know when to run. Joseph knew he was destined to be prime minister, but somebody wanted to make him her boy toy. And he ran, and we said, he should have kept his coat. No, that woman was determined. There was no getting it out of there. And she was accusing him anyway. Coat was just proof it was him. And because she was who she was, they would have believed it anyway. But anyway, she used the coat. Yeah, she pointed him out. He had no luck with coats. He had no luck yeah, with coats. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Gave you the coat off my back, and look what you did to me. Anyway, but God used the doll to, to form him into the man of God that he was. Had he yielded and gone the easy way, he would never have been prime minister. He probably would have been killed because Potiphar would come home one day and find him playing games in his bedroom and off with his head. You know, he'd be asking the butler to to interpret his dreams. <laughs> I had this dream about stars and moons, and now it seems meaningless. You know. So we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. Or he who has been begotten is kept by him. And the wicked one does not touch him. Amen. 
So in terms of sin, it's important that we walk in victory and that when we, if we mess up, that we repent. Because sin, especially repetitive sin, unrepentative sin, opens the door to the devil. You're inviting demons to come in and torment you like crazy. But we have assurance or protection from him because we've been born of God. Verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So the wicked one can't touch us, but the whole world, the unborn-again world, he's touching them like crazy. They're under his sway. They're under his dominion. They're bringing them into bondage, telling them they're free. Meanwhile, they're getting addictions like crazy. I don't know what you believe about marijuana, but I believe it's just going to open the door to more addictions. And it's not. I'm not talking about being addicted to marijuana. Because <laughs> it's not going to feed... It's not going to feed the need of people's souls. They're going to go on to some other things. So the enemy is wreaking havoc in the world. They're under his sway. But he who's been born of God has authority over him. Somebody say something. Oh, with that, and I don't think it should be made legal, per se, as recreation, recreational use. Of course, medicinal purposes. I think it's a tool given us to God to help people with you know, back pain, cancer, and stuff like that, where it could actually do some good for them. Yeah. But that's for recreational use. So, Jimmy, 21 year old, can go to a bar or whatever and light up. Or a Sally, 10 year old. Yeah. Hal just texted me, please. Explain dead monkey on the line. <laughs> it's a phrase that Tony Evans says sometimes when you line the facts up and things don't add up. Must be a dead monkey on the line somewhere. So imagine if, when, he, when I hear that, I imagine a factory where a product is being made by monkeys. <laughs> At the end of the line, you get the finished product and and. You know, it's got to be from a cartoon, probably. And and when let's say they're making T-shirts and the one comes out, it's got three armpits or no neck or whatever. There's a dead monkey on the line somewhere. Somebody's not taking care of their job. Anyway, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. What is this understanding? That we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. So in keeping our pronouns straight, I think he's talking about the Son and the Father. We know that the Son of God has come, or Jesus has come, and has given us an understanding, and one of the things he proclaimed is, I'm the only way to the Father. That we may know him who is true. We know that 
The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so Jesus said, the Father in me is doing these works. And so he came to help us have a relationship with his Father through a relationship with him. So we know him who is true and we are in him who is true. So we know the Father and we're in the Father, in his Son, Jesus Christ. So the Father is in Christ. Right? God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus said, the Father in me is doing these works. So we've got this understanding from the Son of God that we may know him who is true. He's the way to knowing the Father. The Father is true. And we are in the Father. Jesus said, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. We may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. So the Father's in Christ, Christ is in the Father. We are in Christ, we are in the Father. We're talking about a close, intimate relationship. This is the true God and eternal life. I checked it out with other translations, and they didn't do any better than this, in my opinion. Uh, we have an understanding about knowing God. And we know God through what Jesus did and through who Jesus is. Anybody have any insights for verse 20? Another perspective? Well, I I would have to mention that when I looked at that phrase, I questioned my own understanding before I knew the Holy Spirit was in me as a born-again Christian. Okay. As a Christian who accepted Christ but didn't have that reality of the intimacy of having the Holy Spirit in me. And that truth only became revealed when I knew that that Holy Spirit was in me. That's when I truly felt born again. Because the temptations, I think, were greater than my capability of sending them off. Whereas now there is that foundation of knowing he's there, he's here, and he's in. And there's a lot more strength with that kind of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, this is the true God and eternal life. That statement there reminds me of Jesus' prayer in John 17. He spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven. Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So there is 
in the scriptures a oneness of Jesus with the Father, and yet there is a distinguishable, distinguishability. You can distinguish them. Some people would say the word separate, separate them. You can understand them separately, and yet there's a oneness in terms of their relationship, but also in terms of their being. They were from the beginning, and I see that in John in Genesis 1. In, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and God and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit hovered over the waters, and God said. So we have God, we have the Spirit, and we have the Word. God said, let there be light. Uh, Psalm 119, there's a verse that says, the entrance of God's Word brings light. Uh, David in another psalm says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John 1 talks about uh, Jesus being the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So there's this intermingling of understanding. I don't know if everybody gets it perfectly. Um, Jesus said to pray to the Father in his name, and many times uh, you hear people praying to Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father. So there's an understanding there that I don't think is unscriptural. Uh, I think to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus is probably the more proper, uh, more more um, right, but I don't think it's wrong because God understands our heart. Jesus is the way to the Father, and he's there at his right hand, and so... Anybody else? Help me. Help me dig out of this thing here. Uh, that which I don't understand. I remember my, my grandmother who was a godly person but when she first before she really came to know the Lord she said that she had a she somebody did her wrong she would get even with them. Mm. And she would plot against them and uh, just get even with it and hold a grudge and be bitter. And then when she came to know the Lord, her heart changed. So I was I was staying with her for a while when I got out of the army, and somebody and there had been a rift in our family that I didn't really know anything about as a child. And and you know how families don't always get along. There's things that happen in families, in-laws. This rift was so bad, she moved to California. But anyway, I got out of the Army and I was staying with her. She told me one time, she said, I cannot afford to get it off with somebody and carry a grudge. This is somebody that's like in her late 80s. She said, I can't, and that was the term she used, I can't afford to get it off. This was the thing that she struggled with. Mm. in her life, and she was a, a wonderful person of God. Yeah, and good. had faith and believed God and loved God. But, you know, even though she was a sweet, wonderful person, she struggled with that. And, and she had to, you know, God will do his part, but we have to do ours. So whatever it took for her to avoid that happening, because, you know, everything in our culture screams uh, revenge. Mm. You know, all the movies are based on revenge. Yeah. We love it when the when the good guy, good guy gets takes it. revenge on the bad guy and and uh, anyway uh, I, I usually know shortly after I get myself into something 
what I where I've gotten myself. Most of it's in my heart, my mind, my thoughts. And I, and I see where we have to do our part. We have to look out that which is in our honor. That's usually something that we can take care of. Holy Spirit will help us. Yes, he will help us. And he was oh, he was doing. dealing with her. Be careful here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have said, but I'm not original in saying it, but I believe it. Sin, if you yield to it, will take you farther than you wanted to sin. Keep you longer than you planned on staying and cost you more than you planned on paying. So... The, the thought of I'll sin now and repent later, uh, that works, but there's a price. You're opening the door to the enemy to come in and damage relationships, um, rob you of blessings. Well, I think it was either Paul or maybe it's in Hebrews and it could have been Paul that wrote it there, but says that if you do that, that, that you actually cheapen the price that was paid. You lessen the value by sinning. You know, the price that, that Jesus paid on the cross by doing that. So that's even, I mean, I I can't even imagine that. You know, who, who of us that are believers would want to ever dilute the price that was paid for? Yeah. That's not something that we want to do. We're talking about honoring the Lord, which supersedes not sinning. Yeah. I mean, we could all say, don't think of a pink elephant. Don't you dare think of a pink elephant. That's the law. It just stirs it up. You want to think right. of one, you know. But in honoring Jesus, he, he's got the key to our heart. Yeah. And gives us a desire. He changes our want to. He gives, gives us the desire to honor him and to walk in freedom and not open the door to the enemy because he wants to keep us. It's his promise. I think the key is, is and it is always good for me, is that as I've, as I've matured what little bit I have in the Lord, I find it in myself, I don't condemn uh, Christians that are struggling. Right. So oftentimes we want to go, well, how could you be doing that? Don't you love the Lord? And it's really not so much they don't love the Lord, it's just right now Satan has victory in their life. And he is powerful. And, uh, but I know that I can't drink. Some some Christians can drink. I never did drink because I like the taste of it. I drank it for one reason and one reason only. And uh, it, destroyed, it nearly destroyed me. The thing I never did anything stupid because of drinking. I just had to be drinking when I did something stupid. Not gonna blame. Not gonna blame Budweiser. But but I know that if I left here, I could destroy my life. Mm. And, and it's not just with with sex, with mm. any kind of something.
that, that gives me fulfillment or joy. And so that's the thing about Satan is that he has anything that God has thought for Satan has a comparable that will do just the same. You know, and because uh, I... I hate. To, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I enjoyed sin, but it did lead to a path of destruction. Whereas now <laughs> I enjoy my Christian life, and I, both those times we're going to die. But you know, we need more of both when we're doing it. But anyway, my point was is that as Christians, everything we have to do has to be done in love. Yes, amen. And uh, I remember when we used to do jail ministry and, and work with kids at detention center. I didn't want to know what they'd done because I'd have pre-judgments against them. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to know. I just wanted to talk to them with a clean slate. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes when a brother or sisters, they have to leave this body and start start anew somewhere where maybe we're not as they don't the sin is not known that they're struggling with, and another brother or sister can help them. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's good. That's uh. That's all I had to say. Yeah. With that being said, uh, what I shared earlier, you know, about not fellowshipping with brothers that are living in sin, you you got to uh, make a distinguishing mark. I mean, what John even does here in this book, there's little children and there's young men and there's old men. Uh, you expect more of grown-ups than you do children, right? Mm-hmm. And we expect more of mature believers than we do new believers. Mm-hmm. And certainly more, we expect more of believers and we do unbelievers so in church life and in your Christian life people are going to come in our midst who are shacking they're living in sin so do we go to them and rebuke them and try to change them from the from the outside it doesn't work you run them off churches that do that run them off all the time then they brag about how holy they are no you you fellowship with those kind of people to be an influence because they're not a mature believer, they're not going to influence you to sin. There's a reason for this anyway. But, um, And we've seen it time and time again over the 23 years. Couples come to Christ, and everything in their life isn't perfect. But give God a season, a few months, a few years, and it's a completely different picture. Because thank the Lord, the membership has some wisdom. More wisdom than the churches I grew up in trying to clean the fish before you catch them and all that stuff, um, trying to, you know, clean the fish that, that are just guppies. I mean, you're not going to get nothing from a guppy cleaning it. But um, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So let's say it's somebody that has fallen away from the Lord. They're not fallen. They were a mature believer. Does this mean you never have a cup of coffee with them? No. It's a redemptive thing. Paul had to tell the church in Corinth, hey, you guys are going too far with this thing. <laughs> but that's that's an interesting study, the 1 Corinthians 5 study, yeah. if the man living with the, right. his father's wife, is a, right. I think the way the scripture right. talks about it. There is a point where that has to be dealt with. Right. And and somebody, no matter what, the elders are 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 given, granted the authority over those things, and sometimes those have to be dealt with. And they'll, somebody will come back and say, you're judging me, you're judging me. Well, sometimes the right people have to do it. Mm-hmm. But never forget the rest of the story, that there was a point in time later, and I don't, it's been a while since I've read that whole thing, as to why he, he wanted them to bring this, 
this fellow back. Yeah. There may have been repentance. There may have been yeah, there was something. some changes. There, there, there definitely had to be some And they brought change. him back. And that's yeah. the, the, the one act isn't the final act, the first one. No, it's redemptive. There's a purpose. Right. There's reasons to do. And, and, and had they not done the first act, the second act probably wouldn't have happened. Right. And he may have set a bad example for other people that were lusting after their dad's wives. It, uh, and what this reminds me of is, you know, the accusations uh, against Christ of why do you go and fellowship with the, with the yeah. sinners and the unbelievers? Because they're the ones that need him. Mm. They're the ones that need him. I mean, the perfect people don't need him. Right. You know, the, 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 the extremely overly righteous and the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't need Jesus. They already had it all figured out. You know, they were right and he was wrong. And, and But everyone else needed him. Now, those that knew they weren't right, yeah. he could minister to them. But if they knew if they knew they were right and they weren't right, that's why humility is so important. Yeah. And you know, and, and you know, nowhere in the scriptures do I find that there was ever a Pharisee or Sadducee that healed anyone. None. Yeah. I mean, but Christ, you know, he was lambasted yeah. for healing on the Sabbath. Yeah, well, yeah. what other day do you want him to be healed on? Because the church is closed the other six days of the week. Yeah. And, you know, the fact is is that we have to go to them in love and, and share. Because if we don't, we're not fulfilling Christ's yeah. instructions to us. We yeah. have to invite him to come. Not because there's perfection, but because the Holy Spirit works on us and works with us and works in us and works through us. And, and, you know, it's our job to get them here. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do whatever needs to be done on the inside. Right. We can't do any of that. Right. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Right. And I don't want that responsibility. Right. But I really, I, I have no compunctions about, you know, <clears throat> inviting them to come and, and participate because it's, it's, it's joyful and it's, it's a great place to come and grow. That's good. And to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. that's what he's done. Even little children keep yourself from idols. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever interferes with your your worship of God, stay away from that. Whatever it may be. Amen. Amen. Yeah, amen. That's good. You know what you said earlier. Uh, who were the Who were the Pharisees healing? That reminded me of something. This is kind of a rabbit trail. I think Hal probably will have the answer for us when I unmute his phone. <laughs> One time they accused Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Oh, yeah. He says, if I cast them, cast these demons out by Beelzebub, by whom are you guys casting them out, or your son's casting them out? The question is, what was he saying? The devil can't cast out his own spirit. Right, but he said, by whom are, how are you guys casting out devils? Why would he say that? I think it's because they weren't casting them out. <laughs> if I'm doing it wrong... How are you guys doing it? They weren't doing it at all. Legalism doesn't bear fruit. It just kills people spiritually. It doesn't help them. And I know there's a there's a thing out there. Every seems like every other pastor's meeting I go to, people rant and rave about the church. The church in America is just going to sleep. The church in America is 
you know, gone to hell in a handbasket. We're not standing for righteousness. and We need to go back to hellfire and brimstone and all that stuff. And it's like, wait a minute, there's unbelievers in our midst. We're going to spank each other in front of them and all that stuff? Sure, things aren't perfect, but the culture is jacked up. Well, it's the church's fault. Oh, really? It's my fault that my neighbor shot his wife? I told him about Jesus. How is that my fault? There's this false sense of, of the past being absolutely perfect, and we've got to go back there. Let me tell you, the past wasn't perfect. They had their challenges, too. I think what happens is we glorify the heroes in the past, and it's fine to honor those who have gone on before, but somehow making demigods out of them to put everybody else down, that's a, that's a subtle form of Phariseeism that's just not right. Just not right. Um, I had coffee with a guy last week, and he wanted to talk to me about there needs to be revival in America. He said, what would you do if you on Sunday morning got out of the pulpit and said, repent, and then just went and sat down? I said, well, is your church doing it? No, they won't listen to me. <laughs> I said, what about the guy who's, whose marriage is just falling apart and he's coming to church for a word of encouragement for somebody to hug his neck and the preacher gets up there and says, repent, and sits down. I mean, what, what is that? So I just said, well, show me how it's done, you know. You know how it works out for you. But we, we've got people to help, people that are hurting. We need to do something to help hurting people. Go ahead, Jerry. I have something I actually want to share about that. That uh, Charlie, when Charlie McGarvey, we were all at Waples. We had a Halloween uh, party. Whatever, and, and this little girl girl came, and, and it was a guy and a girl. She was just as pregnant as she could be. And she was almost totally naked with no clothes and had a big pumpkin painted on her stomach. And then he came in nothing but a diaper. Oh, man. So, you know, we all did double takes, but, you know, we we drew ourselves together and we embraced those kids. And they weren't married. They were getting ready to have a baby. They had no idea what they were supposed to wear or how they were supposed to act. But we embraced them. And then, but... So the moral to that story is they came back, and they kept coming back. Mm -hmm. Well, she had the baby. They got married, and her mother, the girl's mother, who also was living with a guy who wasn't married, she started coming. They got married. So it was all because we treated them with respect. We didn't condemn them. Although I'm sure there were a lot that wanted to say, go put some clothes on, you know, you don't belong. But we didn't. So there's not always, that's not always a perfect scenario. That's a great illustration. That is a great illustration. Charlie told me about that. It was a Halloween outreach, a trunk. Trunk or treat. Trunk or treat. So you imagine, you know, parking lot has a row of cars, the trunks are open, and the trunks are full of candy, and the community's invited to come and, you know, let the little kids pick out. So this couple comes, and the man's wearing nothing but a diaper and cowboy boots. <laughs> and then his wife's as pregnant as she can be, and she's in a halter top and some kind of some kind of waistcloth so, so, kind of waist or something, and her belly's painted like a pumpkin. And the church just loved on them, and they came to Christ. And, and they're still there. Yeah, they're still there. Amen. 